welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, and reed player from Germany, Gebhard Ummann. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. And today, from you're in Berlin right now, right, sir? Yeah, I'm in Berlin. Okay, he's in Berlin. And we have Mr. Oman with us, joining us from Berlin, Germany. Sir, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, you're welcome. Hello, can you, everybody. Can you please give an introduction about yourself? And then we get right into it. Well, I've been on the scene for a while now. I started off with... Uh, then still LPs in the early 80s. Um, and I've been, I, I studied in Hamburg, moved to Berlin, then moved, uh, commuted to New York for more than 10 years. Commuted. I had an apartment in Brooklyn, later in Manhattan, but also in Berlin. My family was in Berlin. Um, and I was on, uh, that. that started actually because I got a, it started before, but uh, on a regular basis, it started because uh, I got a, back then a fax from Giovanni Bonandrini, the Soul Note, the owner of Soul Note, and uh, he to, uh, the fax said, <clears throat> "This is hard to believe." The fax said, uh, "Go to New York City, get find three musicians, and record your first first quartet album for Soul Note Black Saint." And um, and now it comes. We pay for everything. Okay, wait. So first of uh, all, did you even know him? Uh, no, I I I was friends with Paul Blay, and Paul Blay was in Berlin, and I uh, complained a little bit about uh, it. To me, it seemed uh, uh, my music was not going anywhere, and I couldn't find the right musicians in uh, Berlin, and um, so. Um, he said, um, what did he say? He said, just uh, wait a bit. I go to Milan tomorrow. And uh, so he must have talked to Giovanni Bonandrini. And so this is how it started. This is the beginning of the basement research project that now is up to how many cities? Six, maybe. I'm not even sure. Maybe seven or eight. <laughs> uh, well, it started in 93. So next year we'll uh, celebrate our 30th anniversary. So uh, you can forget this or that in 30 years. Uh, I would I, I, you have to count my CDs every once in a while because meanwhile, I'm up to CDs <laughs> under my name uh, as a leader or co-leader plus uh, uh, incredible amount of Sideman CDs. So well over 100. I'd say. Okay, so I lived in New York for a while, then I moved back to Berlin. I still have my projects in New York. Uh, I work with musicians from Chicago. Uh, that all came to a hold, of course, now with COVID. Um, but I hope it'll it'll start again. I was on tour in the U.S. quite a bit. Uh, I brought over bands from here, and I bring over bands from there to Europe. And so that's a constant exchange and um, I'm, I have different lines of what I'm doing, like a woodwind line, which is chamber music with, uh, generally speaking, woodwind instruments. Mm -hmm. I do have uh, 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 other lines like basement research, which is a line of its own. Uh, usually there's a lot of uh, things with rhythm section from overseas, but in between, uh, Meanwhile, it all overlaps. In the beginning, the rhythm sections were overseas. Now it yeah. all overlaps. Okay, but, okay, so, so the question on that in. is, so you get the invite to go to New York or America in general, find a band and bring them back. What was your yeah. first impression of the New York scene and what exactly were you looking for? Well, I was looking for people to play my music in a certain way, uh, um, to, to look beyond the written material um, to uh, play it with a lot of energy and a certain open approach that musicians from 
um, overseas seem to have more than from Berlin, which is definitely true for written sections, but I'm talking about the early 90s. Um, I have to say that all changed in the last 30 years. Meanwhile, it's really, there's no big difference. There's musicians over here with a similar approach, and there were always musicians uh, um, uh, over there with a more, how to say, I mean, I hate it, but uh, I say it, European approach. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Okay, I'm biased on that. So what's your definition of a European approach? Well, it's, um, it's more something that comes from class, more classical music, classical composed music, uh, high education on your instrument, uh, and also being able to read anything. And then sometimes you cannot, uh, it, it is difficult to get behind the music, beyond the music, the written music. That And, you know, like when I came to New York, they played my music and the second time you played it through, they already played it their own way. And this is what I was looking for. Okay. No, no, that's good to know. But like you said, I believe a lot of international artists are able to do that nowadays. So nowadays, there's no, I, I mean, it all changed. Berlin, the scene in Berlin back then was much smaller, of course. It changed completely over here, changed completely over there. Um, How did it all, change over all, here? Well, th there's always an issue with uh, when the uh, life cost, go, uh, cost goes up, when the rents are going up. When it gets really difficult for musicians or artists in, in general in a certain uh, city, then uh, a lot of people move to other cities or other places. A lot of people from New York, actually, or from the U.S. in general, move to Berlin. That wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago. Really? Okay. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's, it's just so much easier. You can get together and just work on your music and... Um, and um, not every minute is a certain amount of money. <laughs> That's basically what the No, that is, is a big issue. You know, Even from rehearsals. Places where you can uh, open places where you can rehearse and um, all these kind of things. I mean, that's very important to art in general. Okay, so the question I want to know from you on that is how would you actually fix that problem? Because you actually been around when the New York rent was a lot cheaper and they had oh, more yeah. practice halls and everything. I have no idea. Understood. And I just know that there's a caravanserai and it moves. And it moves all around the world. And it's not only New York that is really expensive. London is incredibly expensive too. Paris. Yeah. People in Paris that not, almost nobody... I know, I know a lot of musicians from Paris. Nobody's living in in the in the city, really in the city, they're all like in suburbs where it gets cheaper. And in Berlin, people are still living in the city and they can afford it. But also, the rents are going up here as well, of course. But it's not that crazy. I mean, it is crazy, but uh, not that crazy. Uh, I hear Rome is really expensive. So no, Rome is know, Rome is just as bad as London. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it's two things I'm really, really curious about, at least in your background. Okay, you studied with Dave Liberman. You got to do that. And you got to study with... Actually, talk about Dave first. <laughs> well, I started with uh, uh, some um, teachers you won't know. I started with Herb Geller. Uh, and he was in Hamburg. He was with the Radio Big Band. Um, I studied... Uh, I did workshops with Dave Liebman, I have to say. I uh, studied in um, Hamburg at the university. I also studied medicine, medicine uh, all the way to the end. So wait, wait, so you're actually an MD? Yeah, the last examination is missing, the very last. <laughs> <laughs> I decided before the very last one to switch to music. Your parents probably want to kill you. Uh, yeah, for a moment, they wanted to do that. But then I was in public telev television on a Saturday evening uh, because I won a, a, a big award, a you know Young Musicians Award. And that helped a lot, I can tell you that. 
You're brave. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. Okay, so you got to, let's just say, three and a half years, I guess. Is medical school four years over there? Well, no, it's, uh, I I went, uh, I I took half a year off. So altogether it was four and a half or five years. And that was almost it, you know. I mean, I could have done another half year and um, could have worked as a as a doctor. <laughs> but I tell you, I had um, I had a band back then and a, a very good friend, student friend, college friend from those days. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, and um, he was in my band um, playing the piano. So when I visited him uh, last time, the first thing, the very, very first thing when I entered the room is, he said, uh, you took the right decision. Okay. Not being a doctor. (laughs) Uh, I know my father heard that he would disagree, but you know. (laughs) I know know a lot of people would disagree, but he was, was, uh, you know, was a, a famous um, in a certain area of of uh, that south of Hamburg, he did, he did so many surgeries and stuff, and you know he was really famous there. And still, he told me you took the right decision. Okay, so I say good for that. I cannot. Yeah, I just well, didn't know me, that, and that's right a good curveball. Anyway. <laughs> for me, it was the right decision anyway, and. Uh, Back then it was right, and today looking back, even more so. So you know what? It was the right decision. (laughs) Okay, before I do that, because I'm going to get into more stuff about you, tell me about your new project, the one that's coming out. Okay, there is a new project. uh, Oh, there's always different new projects that come out, but this one is brand new. It's not, yeah, it is brand new because it has an electroacoustic component to it now. Uh, Gulf of Berlin. G-U-L-F-H, which is the last names of the um, musicians. Uh, Before it was a quartet, so it was G-U-L-F, now it's G-U-L-F-H, a quintet. And um, we uh, have been working as a improvising ensemble, but we had a certain approach to improvisation. First of all, everybody played more than one instrument, and then we uh, what we did, what we said, uh, what we call um, uh, improvised compositions. Okay, Instant I feel compositions is another word they used in in the UK. I think I understand uh, that <laughs> improvised compositions or composed improvisations is completely uh, different. I mean, our approach is like that. Everybody is a composer as well, writes music. Uh, and we bring that into the into the music. And now we have a fifth element, which is the uh, is Michael Harfis, who <clears throat> records everybody on stage, all instruments, all four instruments, puts that into all kinds of analog devices and sends it back on stage, so we can hear it. So we play actually we play something, mm-hmm. he gets it. He modifies it, sends it back, and we react again. That's the Okay, concept. that explains that part. Okay. No, yeah. it's very experimental. I was feeling a lot of that. So was there one person comes in with the lead sheet, I guess, with the just basic format and everything, correct? Or was it just pure improvisation improvisation at a time? It was always pure improvisation. Oh, okay. There is nothing, there is no uh structures. We talk about before, we just do it. It's not like uh, that we say, let's do something, you know, maybe we say, okay, now it's a cello solo or something like that, a duo, but no more than that. Okay, and how long did it take you to record this? One day. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I usually record my... A normal recording session is two days recording and uh, then, depending on the project, one, two, three days of mixing and depending on the budget, of course, as well. 
Okay, that's impressive on that too. <laughs> so what did you what do you expect from this album? Because I know if somebody's into really experimental stuff, they're gonna love this. So the average straight ahead jazz fan, what do you think their take of it would be? Well, it's not really a jazz album. That's the first thing I have to say. It does all kinds of things in, in there and um, goes back to uh, what I grew up with, prog rock back then, bands like Soft Machine. I saw all these bands uh, several times. Um, the, the experimental bands from uh, Germany like Can and the, uh, all the bands that were before the band Kraftwerk, that's all in there. And, um, and also um, some noise elements. And as I said, you know, we all listen to different composers, um, contemporary composers. So that's all in there. And obviously there's a good um, uh, percentage of jazz in there as well. And um, uh, even ballads, some, some you know, um, abstracted ballads, like ballads yes. I call it. No, there's a lot of abstract stuff. stuff like it. that. It's all in there, but it's not really a jazz album. So the typical jazz listener... Uh, will have to know that before he listens to it. But what is a typical jazz listener? I, that isn't a typical jazz I listener. I said a straight ahead or a, a purist. <laughs> well, if you like um, straight ahead jazz and only straight ahead jazz. Like a purist, but yes, they won't like yeah, that. I know, purist won't. not the album for you. But if you like... Um, you know, if you like... Uh, uh, Contemporary composers, if you like Edgar Varese, if you like um, Ken or these bands from the or the the Canterbury scene from the seventies and everything that came after that until today, if you like all that and you like jazz, all kinds of jazz, this is Count your the jazz. Yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I was always a very open person. I listen to all music. I'm not, you know, I'm, I mean, if I find it boring, I, I stop listening. But if, mm -hmm. you know, I can like almost any music that is well done. Okay, what's something that stands out to you music-wise? Again, please. Like, who's an artist right now who stands out to you? Oh, I can't. I don't, I mean, I go back, right now I'm, I'm uh, doing stuff. I have a new project we are working on uh, that combines music of Dmitry Shostakovich, string quartets, and Albert Ehlers' ghost trance music. Ghost so, trance music. Yeah, it's the ghost music, and then I, I put it, I changed it with Lucas and all kinds of things into something that is ghost trance, whatever that means, I have no idea. No, I get you. <laughs> okay, and there's something else you mentioned earlier. You have a woodwind line. Well, I listen to all kinds of saxophone players, uh, tenor saxophone players. Obviously, I, I love bass clarinetists like Louis Clavis or John Sermon or whoever. Uh, and I love, there is not the one saxophone player um, that is my big hero. Mm -hmm. Uh that is plenty of them. Okay. No, that's... I still think... It was, it was always like that. I Obviously, I love John Coltrane, but any anybody who plays tenor saxophone loves John Coltrane, I'd say. But, uh, you know, there's all these other tenor saxophone players that I also love, so... Okay. And I just want to know a few other things from you. Since, you know, you're older than me, you're in the Berlin scene. So, which scene do you like better? The London scene or the Chicago scene? Um, the London, you're talking about the New York scene. I was in New York and Chicago, not in London. Oh, no, but you know the London scene, don't you? I know that. It, uh, no, not really. I, okay. I can't speak about the London scene. I can speak about the New York and the Chicago scene and... 
Um, it always depends on whom you know, whom you play with. Um, I have the feeling uh, it is a little more relaxed if it comes to trying out things in Chicago because it's just less expensive. So, I mean, you can just get together. You don't always have to make money on the spot every day. You can just get together and try out things. And this is what artists do. They don't uh, wake up in the morning and they have the, the they are suddenly they're genius and they have this one idea that is uh, turning into a fantastic CD the same day or next week or something. They try out things. And sometimes it takes years to this one CD is going to be recorded. And the same with all, all other artists. So you need time. And I have the feeling more of, of more time is available in Chicago at this point. But I also have to say, I haven't, uh, now it's like two or three years that I was in New York. Last time when I was in Chicago, that's like three, four years uh, ago as well, due to Corona. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I was on tour in the US when I came over last time. Um, but um, that was my impression back in those days. Okay. And what advice would you tell somebody who's getting into the music world right now? Like they finish university and they're about to start. Well, I always told my students, if anybody in the world comes up and puts together a saxophone festival, a festival with a um, way wants to invite, let's say, three saxophone led bands. Mm -hmm. um, I told them he comes up with the list, and you have to make sure to be, be under the first ten of that list. And later, you have to make sure you're number one, two, or three, or four, or five. And so you get invited. And that doesn't happen if you play your instrument in a technical, perfect, or whatever way. That only happens if you have a very personal approach. So that's what is most important. You have to come up with your personal approach. So if anybody comes up with a festival on his, and he has a certain topic, um, you you need to pop up in the mind of this person right away. That is your goal. And that is so difficult to achieve. <laughs> okay, tips on getting that, like your own personal sound. Yeah, I, wanna, I don't want to hear, if I see somebody on stage who is like, let's say, in the 20s, uh, I don't want to hear Blue Note records from the 50s. I mean, you know, I want to hear this person. I want to hear where he's from. I want to hear who he's playing with. Um, that's what I want to hear. And, um, and on top of that, I want to, I mean, I know it's difficult. On top of that, I want to hear something I never heard before. Okay. No, I can't disagree with that. Is there anything that shocked you when you first came to America to play? The first time you came here? Mm, the first time I came in, oh, that's like, uh, that was in 77. Uh, I, I hitched, back then you could hitchhike. You could still hitchhike uh, in the U.S. It was still allowed. Um, it was not really dangerous. I mean, Obviously, everything was less dangerous back then. And I hitchhiked for three months through the U.S. And um, started off in New York, went down to New Orleans, San Diego, San Francisco, uh, Boston. I'm, I mean, you know, all kinds. I was thousands of miles on the road and uh, met people that, that I knew, musicians mostly. Um, and also met a lot of people I didn't know. And um, I was 
really curious back then. I mean, I was a student. That was my tw early 20s. It was um, 10 years, I think. No, nine years after the summer of love. So all these things were still existing. Um, the farm and all these, some of the stuff, some of the places we visited. And um, there was nothing that shocked me, really. It was this openness. Ah, there was one thing in Kentucky. I talked to an older guy and I couldn't believe what he told me. It was so racist. I had not, never heard anything like that in Europe before. I couldn't, I mean, I, I, I really thought I misunderstood. Was this it that candy. bad that you can't say it? No, I don't say anything. I mean, gotcha. I don't okay, say okay, leave it. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad that I thought I misunderstood. Gotcha. But you hitchhiking from New York all the way down to New Orleans in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And over to San Diego, up to San Francisco, and all the way back to New York. Then we went, then we took a train to, I think it was a train to, uh, where did we go? New Haven? I think we went to New Haven, then to Boston. I think there were trains. I mean, you know the train situation. It wasn't different back then. You could you could hitchhike. You could take a Greyhound. Sometimes, uh, usually we always got a, we always found the right. And, and uh, this that's way we met a lot of people. To me. You can imagine. I mean, I met uh, uh, Hollywood producers and actors, famous actors. I was invited to an Indian reserve by the chief who, t who gave us a ride, stuff like that. And that kind of could only happen back then because you met people you would otherwise never meet just because they picked you up. Okay, that's amazing. And you're just like, that didn't surprise you or really impress you. Well, that was... Back then, you did the same thing. It was a lifestyle, and uh, you could do the same thing in Europe. I hitchhiked to Greece from Hamburg and did the same thing, you know. So uh, we, we just did that back then, and it wasn't dangerous. It, it turned dangerous like a couple of years later when they started, suddenly hitchhikers were killed and stuff like that. So it disappeared, you know, but... Back then, it wasn't dangerous. People were really friendly. People were open. They were curious about your background. You were curious about their background. Very often, you were invited to to even stay with their with them at their in their homes. It was a totally different uh, situation in society. Unfortunately, that is, that is long gone. Okay. Do you think that affected our entertainment world now that it's gone? No, I don't think that affected the entertainment world. It, it affects any everybody, of course, the the situation that changed. So it, on the long run, it somehow affects the entertainment world. But no, I wouldn't say so. Okay. Because people change. When people change, the entertainment world changes, of course. I mean, yeah. Could you tell me one of the actors you met? Is there anybody big? I don't. I don't really remember. But back then, uh, no, I don't remember the name. I still remember. I was. Um, it was the opening, the first night of the first Star Wars movie in New Orleans. I went to the cinemas and said, saw the first Star Wars movie, the first episode in the cinema on the first night. And I can tell you, everybody in the line was so stoned. It was unbelievable. <laughs> first of all, the first yes, one of Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. It was really unbelievable. It's 77. That's episode number four. Not episode one anymore. That's okay. number one. Number two. Oh, yeah, no, it's four. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I you're mean, right. I mean, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that bad. Everyone there was just baked. Uh, people were so, uh, they, they got. I mean, they they pre they were really prepared to watch a science fiction movie. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> Understood. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like these these people they they watch baseball and I got high. That's what they did. Uh, yeah, that is something I still remember from back then. <laughs> yeah, friends, that in Europe so much. I have to say that was a typical U.S. thing. What marijuana? Uh, marijuana, marijuana, and watching baseball, turning the volume down, listening to weird music, watching baseball, and getting high. Th this combination. <laughs> I don't know to add on that, but yeah, drugs are a big part of the music culture. It's not American oh, yeah. culture. So, <laughs> is it that bad over there? I shouldn't say bad, no, but is it like no, that in no, Berlin? No. It wasn't that bad uh, over there, and and nowadays everything is different anyway. Uh, but even back then, it wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> it's more that in Europe, uh, alcohol was is more more common than marijuana back then, at least. And you can drink on the streets and all that in Europe, and you know, so it's it's different in the US. It's just different, but people find ways. Uh, what? <laughs> no, I'm gonna keep going on this. What else did you find interesting about America back then? Huh? What else did you find interesting? You told me about the hitchhiking. You've told well, me about them being. So, I, I can tell you, everybody was so open. Uh, um, they were really interested in where we came from. They had no clue where. Um, Hamburg or Berlin was in Europe, of course. They didn't know where Berlin was. Yeah, yeah, yeah Berlin, come on. Berlin, they had no clue, really. And so, so that was, you know. But uh, everybody was really open. And that was something um, much more open than a lot of European people. How are the Europeans not as open? Well, if you um, they're asking you, um, they judge. The Europeans judge much more. Today it's different, but back then the Europeans judged much more on how you looked and um, before they even, you even started to talk to them. And uh, it, that seemed to be a little, di uh, di not only a little, much different in the U.S. Okay. So and that, I, I guess that's it's, now it's similar all over the yeah, world. I forget that. It's it's really a drag. It was so you know. I mean, that all all came. Obviously, we met a lot of people from the Woodstock generation, and these people tended to be more open than the average people anyway. And what was your take on them? Because all I really get are the books and uh, documentaries of it. Were they just really that laid back? Who? The Woodstock the, crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were really laid back. Yeah. There were a lot of drugs uh, on, in place as well. Uh, you can imagine that, you know. <laughs> wow. I'm tempted. You know what's good? Go, tell me about this. Go. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's to the end. The, the drugs weren't that strong as well, maybe. Today, it's the drugs that are on the market now are really, are much stronger than back then. So, more dangerous, too. Mm. Much more dangerous, actually. Okay. I just can't. I couldn't even see myself being brave enough to hitchhike. Then I couldn't imagine going to a whole movie theater where it's like 90% I can't. Well, we, we didn't know that before. When I but when I looked into the eyes of the people, I thought something is strange here. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh this! I mean, you sidetracked this whole episode, and I don't care. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so where do you teach, sir? You said you would. I, I did teach at the university here in Berlin for <laughs> quite a while, maybe 10 years, 11 years. I did uh, master classes all over the world, uh, but I don't teach anymore. That's uh, what I do these days sometimes is uh, workshops for improvisation. Okay. I teach how to improvise. 
And um, uh, that is a lot of fun, actually. And do that with classical musicians, so-called classical musicians as well. Uh, larger ensembles sometimes. Mm. We create concerts within a day or two, and then we play a concert. And um, people are, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's easy to, to bring it over to them and to, to make it work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a lot of things are really easy, but people don't think about that. Mu easy musical uh, laws, I say. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so you teach, that's that's really something I do, and uh, I I did teach a lot of saxophone students uh, in the nineties and the zero years, and uh, a lot of them them are quite well known now. Can you name one or two for me? Uh usually. German ones, Daniel Erdmann is one. Um, who else? Uh, who might you know? There's a band, Andromeda Mega Express Orchestra, was a famous band here. And, and Daniel Glatzel, he was with me. Ah, that's so many. I, I mean, but they're all Germans, of course. They, they're mostly they were Germans. I had some students from other countries. But the, the more famous ones are Germans. Okay. That's cool. And where do you think jazz would be in 10 years? Do you think it would be on the increase? Do you think it would be on the decrease? The, the what? The, uh, the jazz world. Oh, the jazz world. The jazz world is going to, has to change somehow. Uh, the music has to develop and um, it won't develop jazz always I, I mean you can't nowadays all this or a lot of students that come from all the colleges in the world play the same way and that is a problem that I agree with in, in classical music you play let's say you play Beethoven there is no recording, no original recording of Beethoven, of course. But today, if you play a Blue Note, anything that has been released on Blue Note or Coltrane piece or whatever, you can listen to the original recordings of the masters. And in the classical world, you can only listen to recordings of an orchestra that did it hundreds of years later sometimes. And uh, that's a totally different thing. You can listen to the original master doing it. So why would you listen, not listen, rather listen to the original? So you need to find something else in jazz. You need to move ahead. And you can also find your own approach to songs that have been recorded before or in the 50s or whatever. But you need to find your own approach. Um, and I have the feeling a lot of the concerts I see and a lot of the uh, uh, younger musicians, they play in a certain uh, um, way and they don't really know. Let me turn on the light here. Mm -hmm. Understood. Okay. When I was teaching, sometimes um, students came with a recording and they put it on. And I listened to it and it was good music. And then I went to my LP collection and took out an LP that very often was from the 70s or 60s and put it on. And it was the same music. And they had never, they never heard about it. And uh, that is a, a real problem at colleges. They focus on certain things, a certain area, and they don't go beyond it. So people think, students think they found something, but um, it has been done before. So if the musical history lessons would be 
uh, more open to different styles in jazz, but also in non-jazz, and not only concentrated on these 20 years, 15 years, uh, historic years, um, students would listen to a lot more music and would incorporate this music and then take it from there. And this would enable them to move forward much faster than finding something and then find out it has been done before and then, you know, try to find something beyond it. And um, if I go to a concert, I mean, it's always great if I see 25-year-old people play the same instruments I played when I was 25 mm -hmm. uh, or the same style of music. But um, sometimes there's something more to it. Most of the times, actually, if you play the style, style of music, but sometimes it's not. And uh, a lot of the students that come from the colleges, they play the same. And for me, that's, I mean, there are, I wish I could do some some of the stuff they are doing technically, but uh, it's still boring. Okay, so... So I don't know where we're going. I, I think if there's enough creative energy in the jazz world, mm -hmm. it will keep moving. Do you see it going back mainstream or no? No. Understood. How could that be? How could, I mean, that's what I said. I mean, that's the original recordings. Why would you go to a concert then? No, I meant like you find someone new who discovers a way to make it a top 10 song overall. No? No. Okay, yeah, your face pretty much said it. <laughs> okay. In a different style maybe or combination of, of that that old style with something else, that may happen. But going back to something that has been done, no. Okay. What is the best compliment you ever received? It's usually after a concert, if somebody, mostly female, listeners they have a certain they have a different approach more emotional approach and they tell me um you know i had a really bad day and blah, 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 blah. and you really put me to another universe or you played something i never heard before and i'm so happy and stuff like that you know so people who come to a concert and react on a direct emotional um, basis instead of, you know, like explaining what I did or I like this or that. I mean, more the intellectual, the emotional uh, reaction yeah. is what I like after a concert. And, and all of these compliments are um, so highly appreciated, I have to say, because that's exactly what I want to do. Okay. And this one, I'm pretty sure won't apply to you because you already do it. But what is your dream project? Well, I have so many dream projects and I do them. Uh, right now, I would love to perform or see performed one of my orchestra compositions. I wrote for orchestra mm -hmm. and I wrote one piece that is entitled Symphonische Verwebungen. Uh, it's a, and it goes even further. But it's a long German name, and um, it's also a long piece, 30-minute piece for large orchestra, two, uh, two vocalists, piano, and a lot of percussion. And um, I've been working on that for at least half a year last year. And that one, I mean, I wouldn't play in that. I mean, I just want to go to the concert and see it performed. That would be most amazing. Okay. Hopefully that is done sometimes. Hopefully it it's a totally different music. It's no jazz, you know, but my my musical approach is in there. People who listen to this 
it's it's online. You can listen to a demo version. They say it's so it's so much you, even though it is not. There's no improvisation in it, and that's again that's a very important thing. It always has has. I mean, I I think it always has to be you, and it's not so much the style of the music. It's mm. your approach. Okay. Well, sir, could you please tell everyone where to find your album, your website, your social media, all that stuff? All that stuff. I have a website, which is www.gebhardt-alman.com. You have to Google it and don't forget Alman in Ullmann in German has two ends in the end. Usually people search for it and they just put in one end and then they don't find the website. And there is a shop on that website where you can buy physical CDs, only physical. All digital uh, uh, stuff, I, there's a library I'm still in the process of building up on Bandcamp. So you search for Gephardt Ullmann on Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. There you can, for now I think I'm up to 30 CDs maybe uh, on Bandcamp. Yeah, okay. maybe, 30, maybe 40. I, I'm not so sure. I'm, I do it one by one. Um, and at some point, most of my CDs, even the ones that are out of stock, will be available again digitally there and i even have some i have a, a on a, a concert a live concert with paul blay that has never been released so there's some stuff that you cannot find otherwise on the Bandcamp site mm -hmm. um social media i'm only on facebook and i sometimes doubt if i should keep doing this <laughs> wait 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 no no stop yeah because you, you know i mean it's so time consuming and uh but th then every once in a while you get a mail or uh, a message from somebody or you find somebody that is goes way back like the other day i found somebody um from 40 years ago or something so you know it's worth it it's worth it but okay. other than that, you spend your time with a lot of unnecessary stuff there. Gotcha. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, sir, <laughs> it was interesting. It was... I have, a, I have a, a, a good starting point is I, I put up a musical biography. If you search Gebhard Ullmann musical biography, uh, I put that up on SoundCloud, and it's one piece of uh, not each, but most of my major releases. And um, if you listen to it from top to bottom, bottom, uh, you get an idea of uh, what I've been up to during the last uh, few months. Almost 40 years. Oh, 40 40 yeah it doesn't go back all the way it goes back maybe 30 years oh. still impressive sir <laughs> <laughs> but yeah oh well i was a slow yeah. starter i have to say in the beginning i was uh and i'm also the very critical with myself so um which is i think very important um so very often I listen to stuff of mine and then uh, I don't like it. I just don't like it. Sometimes I listen back years later and suddenly I like it. <laughs> it can also happen. <laughs> but most of the times, uh, if I don't like it, I, I, I won't like it in 10 years or 20 years from now. So I don't put it out. Well, you got to put it out because that's how people <laughs> at least discover it. <laughs> I only put out what I really like and that is... Uh, enough anyway so yeah. i'm right now i am uh, doing a new project it's called hemisphere 4 um it's with um uh 
four ladies, actually I have to say, three ladies on the recording from the younger generation, Liz Kosek on keyboards and Silke Lange, she is on accordion and Taiko Saito, she's also in Berlin, she's on vibraphone and percussion. And I do have, yesterday we played a concert, it was with Anna Fichtel, she's also from the more contemporary uh, music field, she plays the harp with uh, electronic devices. It's an amazing new project. Uh, I'm constantly thinking about it uh, because we recorded um, about, we were in the studio last year and we recorded so much music. Uh, it may end up uh, being three CDs. And um, I'm in the process of mixing it and finding uh, titles and coming up with sequences and all this. And um, yesterday we played our first concert and um, it was amazing. It was really amazing, I have to say. It was a great start. It's not quite there. As I told you, I'm always very critical with myself. It's not quite there, but it'll be there. It's I, I can... Um, I can see it. And um, and then I still have my clarinet trio, which puts out a new CD. And I'll turn, the, I have to mention this, I'll turn 65 in November. Um, so I'll put out uh, a couple of CDs this year. One is coming up, which is uh, called, the second one of the band called uh, The Chicago Plan. It's with Steve Swell, Fred Lonberg Holm, and Michael Zerang. Uh, will be out somewhere this year. I just got the cover yesterday mm -hmm. on uh, Not Two Records in, in Poland. Um, there will be an LP, my first LP since 1990 uh, on No Business Records in Lithuania with uh, Steve Swell, Hilliard Green and Barry Altschul. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this year we'll see a lot of releases. Yeah, It's all part of my birthday party. Well, I'm looking forward towards that. Ahead <laughs> of time, happy 65th. We got to go, unfortunately. So, sir, I'll okay. say thank you. You have a good one, okay? You and too. everyone, Thanks this is Leon. Oh. And, uh, oh, yeah. and uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is Leander from Improv Exchange, everyone. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.